everybody. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Keeping the Rivers Caramel, as we say 100. I have Joel McKay on the line. I'm telling you, he is phenomenal. Joel, how are you? Good, Caramel. Thanks for making time for me today. Can't complain. Oh, like, I am super excited to, like, speak to you because we're going to have a great time. So you are based out of uh, British Columbia. So how long have you been yeah. there? Uh, I was born and raised here, so uh, just uh, over just about 38 years. I uh, did a brief stint in Alberta, but not long enough to really talk about it at length. And I've lived here in the northern part of the province for a decade now. Okay. And so you were based in Prince George, right? Is that? Yeah, got it. Okay. So you have a, you are author. Oh, my God, you're so many things. You're author, a former public relations executive, and a journalist. So when you used to do journals, what were you used to write about or talk about? Uh, probably the boring stuff that most people don't read when they're reading the newspapers. That's what I was, I was a specialist in. I was uh, a financial reporter. So I, I specialized in the market, in business, in profit and loss. And I was particularly focused on the commodity sector. This is where your podcast is going to get super boring. I wrote a lot about mining, forestry, oil and gas, uh, land-based issues. I suppose the cool thing about it was that I covered those industries globally. So I got to write a lot of stories about, you know, diamond mining in Africa or in the Arctic or gold mining in South America and a lot of the issues and stuff that was associated with that. So, you know, I spent a lot of time doing that and and kind of fell in love with that work. Um, I kind of realized it's a bit like writing about, you know, um, half-mad treasure hunters uh, who are scouring the globe for for resources and all the issues they run into when they try and do that, uh, which I think all of us, doesn't matter where we live, can sympathize with to some extent. Um, And that's actually how I fell in love. I was in Vancouver at the time. Uh Uh, That's where where I'm from. I was born and raised there. And uh, I fell in love with small towns and rural places. And northern British Columbia, where I live now, is uh, one of those places. And uh, through that work, I made a lot of connections up here and ultimately decided that uh, I wanted to have that kind of lifestyle. So I, when I left that business, I, I moved up here and, and moved into public relations, which is kind of the other side of the fence. And uh, I've been living here ever since. That is super awesome. And so you, when you say you was a journalist and you was writing about the oils and the gas and stuff like that, have you always been a writer? Like, was writing one of the things that when you was growing up, like, you was like, I want to be a writer, or what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, that was it. Um, when I was uh, a kid, I started writing. So I was 12. Um, and kind of what sort of was the precursor to that was, uh, like, you know, most you know boys who grew up in the 80s and 90s, I played with action figures. And in my case, I had, you know, really elaborate stories uh, that went on when I was playing with my toys. And, uh, you know, by the time I hit 12, my friends didn't think that was cool anymore and told me, hey, man, you got to put away the toys. And, uh, you know, if you grow up in the 90s, uh, being cool 
kind of mattered. And so I, 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 put, I put away the toys, and, but I couldn't put away the stories. And uh, I grew up in a family who didn't have a lot of money. Um, I didn't know how else to get that creative outlet uh, out of me, even though all of those stories were in my head. And uh, so it was pretty cheap, pretty easy. At least I thought it was easy uh, to pick up a pen and a notebook and start writing stories down. So that's kind of how it started for me when I was 12. And, uh, you know, I wrote my first novel uh, by the time I was 14. It was terrible. It totally sucked. I, I do not have a copy of it anymore, and I'm probably happy about that. Um, but uh, I, I, that, that, that's kind of what made the decision for me that that's what I wanted to do with my life. And it's been, you know, like so many creative people, it's been a long and meandering road uh, back to finally a place in my life where I have the space uh, to write creatively again um, and try and, try and, you know, make a go of it. That's awesome. And so you won a lot of awards. I see you won some awards. And so I see in 2011 you won the Jack Webster Award. So what is that kind of award? Yeah, Jack Webster was a very famous journalist here in British Columbia from uh, sort of the 70s, 80s. Uh, He was known as a hard-hitting journalist, and after he passed, they established a series of awards for the top journalism in in British Columbia. And uh, very early on in in my career as a journalist, I was fortunate to win one of them. Um, I did a four-part series on a copper mine that was proposed and but ultimately never built here in British Columbia that was very, very controversial. Um, And I was fortunate that year at a young age, quite to my surprise, to win that award which was the top award in, in that category and in this province and is nationally recognized in Canada as a meaningful award. And that kind of opened some doors for me. You know, it's, um, you get these awards and, and you kind of have to be careful about them because you only typically get professional awards if you submit and compete, right? So you yeah. kind of have to be you kind of have to put yourself out there and and play that game, doesn't matter what sector you're in. And I was super uncomfortable with it at that point in my career. I I, I kind of have always been of a mind that you don't promote yourself, you know, you should get validation from others. Uh, But I had a professor who told me, no, you you need to submit because, you know, whether you're shortlisted or you're lucky enough to win, those things become currency. And that currency that you have from an award uh, and recognition as a writer, as a journalist, is something that you can then use to further your career, get to where you want to go, right? Uh, if not, you know, a little faster than you otherwise would. And that's always stuck with me. And so, you know, when I've been fortunate enough to be recognized for my work as a as a journalist or public relations executive or economic development professional, you know, I've, I have put myself out there and I've encouraged, uh, you know, others, uh, friends and colleagues to do the same uh, because sometimes that recognition coming from another body is exactly what you need to kind of further your career down the next sort of pathway and open some doors for yourself, which I think, you know, we're all trying to do, right? Like everybody's right. trying to yeah. break up you know, out of whatever corner of the world we live in or whatever it is that that makes us get out of bed in the morning. And so sometimes those recognitions, in this case the Webster, uh, can have a profound impact in, on your life. And it did for me. It, uh, it resulted in me becoming an editor uh, at the newspaper I was at. And I think at that time I was the youngest editor of a business publication in, in Canada. 
uh, if not one of the youngest. Um, and so I kind of stuck out like a sore thumb um, because I was in that role, but it opened up other doors and it led to other things. And so I certainly don't regret it and uh, always am thankful to the Webster Foundation for uh, the recognition they provided to me. That is super awesome. When you say open doors, I see that 2021 you won the Chairman's um, Award as well. And so what was that like? Like you're winning awards all over the place, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's kind of bizarre, right? Like, it's, again, it's not like something I set out to do, but it seems, you know, the funny thing here is, like, here's me, right? So mm-hmm. so I, I started when I was 12. I wanted to write trash and call novels. That's all I've ever wanted to do in my life. I don't even want to get rich doing it. I just want to do it enough that I can keep a roof over my head and leave it and lead a distance. Uh, you know, a decent life. And yet my career path and the recognition of my career path has been everything but that, which is kind of ironic and hilarious because I've done well at these other things, but the thing that I really wanted, I've never had the guts to pursue until the last few years, and who knows where it'll go. And so, yeah, I was fortunate with my journalism, and then more recently for, fortunate in, in my, my current role, which is um, I'm the CEO of an economic development organization for Northern British Columbia. It's uh, one of the largest uh, public trust funds in the province. And uh, I was recognized by our provincial economic development association with an award for, for the work that we do. And the work that we do is, again, like I started off talking to you, I'm like, here's the super boring bit, but I promise you it gets more boring as time goes on. When you, when you start to really unpack what I'm doing here, um, my day job is it's public money, it's a trust fund. Our role is to manage that money and get it out the door to projects that make our communities more livable places, that create jobs. So, like, we're, we're putting money into things like expanding airports, building pools, building mountain bike trails, supporting small business, all that stuff that kind of makes a place, you know, a little bit more livable. And in, in northern Canada, that's important stuff because there's not a lot of people up here and it's, uh, it can be a tough climate. It can be a, a tough go. It's a bit different than Florida or, or other parts of the, of the southern U.S. And so that award is recognition of, I think, more recognition of the organization than recognition of me. I think it's just, a, you know, one of those things that comes along if you happen to be in the seat and you've done a halfway decent job of, you know, steering the organization while you've been in that seat, then you're the one that gets the award simply because you're the one with the title, right? Right. Um, but like all things, right, you, you don't get anywhere without anybody else's help, right? And so, you know, like with the Webster, you know, was a professor encouraging me, was an editor supporting me, a publisher supporting me, my colleagues giving me advice on the stories. And with the Chairman's Award, you know, like I can't point to what I did, but I can point to what all of my employees did, um, and they worked their asses off, and they do a really good job, and the type of work they're doing is making a difference in small towns. And so, yeah, it's my name on the award, and, and that's nice, and uh, I appreciate it. Uh, but really, it's recognition of the organization and everybody around me. And I have to, you know, the, the way I try to live is to remind myself of that. That is super awesome, super awesome. So when you say that you now can write what you want, recently you started to go into your element. So when I say look at the new uh, novel that you have, the book that you have, um, Wolf at the Door. So first of all, where do you get the title? 
like how you come up with the title, and tell me what Wolf at the Door is all about. Yeah, well, uh, the title is quite literal. There's literally a werewolf at the door, and he's going to rip everybody apart. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of the story. And I, and I suppose that I mean, that's kind of, that, that's the story in a nutshell here, right? Like, and, and I think that was what was so fun about writing it. So, so what is that? So Wolf of the Door is a novella. It's uh, a comedy horror, and I would say more comedy than horror, but it, it definitely is a horror. And it's a story about a Thanksgiving dinner that goes sideways, and it goes sideways in two ways. Uh, the first half of it is, you know, you get a dozen or so family members and friends together who all have their personal issues and their viewpoints on things, and everything kind of boils to a head, and it becomes a super awkward uh, dinner where everybody's kind of fighting and, and all of those grievances that they've had as a family kind of come out at the dinner table and it blows up kind of in classic, you know, National Lampoon's Christmas vacation style. So it's it's hilarious from that point and absurd and it's meant to be. And if you're a person that comes from, you know, a dysfunctional family or has ever had the good fortune to attend it like that, then you're really going to appreciate what Wolf of the Door is in its first half. Its second half is when the werewolf shows up. So if you can imagine, here's this Thanksgiving dinner, this family, they have all these issues, it all pops up, the dinner goes to hell, and then something bursts through into the house and eats grandma. And it's a werewolf, and nobody's ever seen one before, and where did this thing come from, and how do they survive? And so that becomes the second half of the book, which is it now turns into a creature uh, slasher horror where all these people who just realize they hate each other or they don't want to spend another minute together uh, now have to find a way to work together to survive the night. And while the werewolf is, is hunting them in this sort of rural, you know, suburban house. So, um, it's, uh, it's short. It's only about 130, 140 pages. You could probably read it in, you know, two to three hours. I, I tell people it's absurd. It's purposefully absurd. It's purposefully funny. It's purposefully horrific. Um, and what I'm really writing about in, in it, I think, is, you know, the, the difference between first world problems and actual problems. And... Why that interested me was at the time I wrote it, we were in that first sort of first lockdown of the pandemic, and sort of so many of us were coming to grips with, hey, like, I thought I had problems before. Now I'm not living through it. Oh, what do I do, right? And, and so that kind of, you know, transmorphed into the story about a werewolf and a Thanksgiving dinner, and it's probably just me talking to myself, but uh, it was a lot. This sound like a, this sound like a really like a good movie to be like a series. And have you ever thought about uh, making a second to this? Because this is a really great topic. Because um, a lot of people like horror and they like comedy to, to go with it, you know. And so, have you ever thought about making this into a, like a second series, like another book? Yeah, I have. Yeah, it's a good question, right? Like I, I certainly have. I've had uh, people ask me that, like, hey, like, you know, what what happens in the sequel? Because, I mean, at the end of it, I won't give it away, but at the end of it, it kind of opens the door to, you know, more happening. When I wrote it, I never intended it to, to be uh, 
uh, sequel worthy or a series that was just supposed to be a one-off story. To be honest with you, when I wrote it, I never thought it would see the light of the day, but I had uh, encouragement. Uh, but, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think there might be something there. I also do have an idea for something similar, but more focused on uh, a vampire, so kind of a an absurd story, different setting, ensemble cast of characters. Now the problem is is the vampire. And so I've got that rolling around in my head, and, and we'll see where it goes. So, I mean, the great thing about all of this is, uh, you know, when you release something out there and people like it, you get that feedback, and it kind of gives you the encouragement to, you know, go and, and be, you know, try something even nuttier than you did the first time around. And, you know, see whether or not the joke lands. And uh, this one did, I think. And uh, we'll see if, you know, I've got the gumption and, and the ability to, to come up with another one and whether or not the punchline in that one lands. Yeah, exactly. So what do you do when you have, like, a, like a, um, a block, a writer's block? Like, most people will say that they, they try to keep writing, or some people say that they have to walk away from it for a couple of days, or they have to put it to the side and just wait until, they, until something comes to them. Then they start to write again. So what do you do when you get writer's block? Yeah, uh, good question. I don't think there's one answer to this because it's different for everybody and each scenario is a bit different too. Like, um, I'll give you an example. Like, sometimes you can write yourself into a corner, right? And there's no way out of it. Like, it's just you, 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 you've created a story, everything's gone, it's gone, and then suddenly, bang, you hit a wall. And you're like, oh, how come I can't, you know, figure out where to go with this next? And if you actually take a step back and you look at the story, it's it's because you've, you've got so many different threads that have come together. There really is nowhere else to go next. There's no way you can logically solve the problem and keep the, the audience going, which means you've got to fix something. You've got to go back and you've got to change something. You've got to, you've got to hack at it a bit before you can keep going. So, you know, I think in, in that case of writer's block, you got to realize what kind of block you have. And so, you know, is it that? Is it that you've written the, the actual story itself isn't coming together because you've written yourself into a corner? Okay, well, if it's that, then the solution is, is to your problem is going to be different than um, I'm just tired, right? Like, say, mm-hmm. if you've been writing every writing, you know, multiple hours every day, and then you've got the rest of your life on top of it, and you hit a, hit a wall, and you can't think of anything else, you just might be tired. You might need, you know, two or three days uh, to get, you know, get through it. The other side of it, and this has been the case with me lots of time, is um, you're not as excited by it, and so you kind of, you know, or, or life, you know, other things in life suddenly become more interesting because you spent, you know, two weeks in front of the computer and you don't want to keep going. And I find with that, it's a bit like, uh, you know, running or working out or anything else that you kind of have to stick with, you know, you just have to do it. You have to get up every day and, and keep pushing it, and pushing at it, push through and, and you'll get there. It's just, you know, when you go for a long run, there's always a point in every long run or every workout where, you know, you kind of feel like you've hit the max and you're ready to throw in the towel, but you're not actually, um, you're just suffering. And you gotta you gotta learn how to work through that suffering. And if you push through that suffering, uh, then you'll be on the other side of it. And you'll be able to keep going. You'll go further than you ever thought. And so I think you know a lot of times for us as writers, it's a bit like being a long distance runner or anybody who's into an endurance sport. It's just the artistic form of it. You've got to learn a certain amount of resilience and a certain amount of how to deal with suffering to 
get through a really long project, otherwise you'll never get it done. And part of the answer to this is whatever situation you find yourself in is if you've hit that block and it doesn't solve itself in two or three days, yeah, go for a walk, figure out why am I at a block? Did I, am I just tired? Um, is it because there's something else going on in my life that needs to be sorted out that I have to tend to? Is it because I've written myself into a corner? Or is it because I just need to knuckle down and toughen up and push through? And each scenario has a different answer, and each writer's got to figure that out for themselves. Um, but it's never one thing. It's never one solution. But it is worth examining that it might just be you, and you might just need to keep going, and you might not need to worry so much about whether or not it's good. When I was writing Wolf at the Door, I didn't worry at all whether or not it was good. I just kept throwing stuff in chapter after chapter that I thought was funny. And um, it was the next logical place to go. And I figured that when I got to the end of it, that I could then, if it was any good, I could go back and fix it all. And that's what all the best writers that I've ever read say about the craft. It's what my professors in university say said about the craft, um, be it journalism or, or writing, you know, fiction or nonfiction. Uh, and I think that's largely been true, at least of, of this project in, in this case. And so um, that's kind of my super long-winded answer to how do you how do, you, how do you work through it, right? No one answer there, but if you understand what's causing the block or you get a gut feeling for it, then you're going to be that much closer to figuring out the, the way to get around it, right? That is so true because I'm like you. Like, I will write and throw things in, and um, I'll fix it later, and I will just keep writing until I can't write no more. And I'm like, okay, let me just write, write, and, and later on I'll fix it. Sometimes I write, and then I'll name the, the project after I finish writing everything because I'm like, okay, that's a good title. That's all I've been writing about, you know? And so, yeah, yeah. so I, I do the same thing, you know? And so, go ahead. I was going to say, I think you're bang on with that. Like, I think there's a, a don't give a shit factor to this too, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes, like, I, I, I've got this thing in my brain where, you know, like, I'll, I'll be writing a serious theme, and, like, I, I'm a person that can only be so serious for so long. Like, right. You know, like, I can't, I can't hold it, and I get it, like, with, with some writing, some storytelling, you, it's a serious thing. You gotta keep it, keep it going, but I'm not that person, and occasionally I need a release valve, right? And so sometimes what I'll do to screw around is I'll have a very serious theme, and, like, I need to push through it, but I'm having a hard time, and so I'll just write something insane that happens to it that's completely off-color, that is not okay, uh, but makes me laugh. And I find that um, if I write it, even if it's three or four sentences or a couple of paragraphs, it, get, it, like, it releases the demon and it works it out, and then I can just erase that because I'm not going to keep it, it doesn't work, and then I can go back and I can take the, the thing seriously again, right? And that's true. Um, because I I love funny and uh, for me to write and be a stand up comic is is hilarious <laughs> for me because when I write I've been writing about multiple people I'm more a erotic kind of writer and so I do all kinds of things into my books so like you said like I don't give a shit I just write whatever comes in mind you know and or whatever I see or whatever I hear so it's going in my book you know. So, yeah, just, just that, to, 
Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. So have you ever written something that you were, like, in that moment you're working through that you were, like, super uncomfortable with, but you're like, nah, I'm going to keep it. Let's just go with it. And then you got it out there. Like, have you, have you had the guts to keep it and then just go with it? And if so, what was kind of the audience, audience's reaction or eventual reception of that? I'm, I'm curious. Well, I have... Sometimes, like I, when I when I write something and I'm very uncomfortable with it, sometimes they say that the uncomfortable is the comfortable, you know. So when I when I write um, and I feel like uncomfortable, I still put it, leave it in there because I don't know how people are going to react to it. I might react to it like, oh my God, I don't want to write this because uh, I'm scared what they're going to say about it, or is this too, you know, too like dismissive or is it too much or whatever right but I keep it in and then when I let people read it the first thing they say is like oh wow I can relate to this and I'm like oh really <laughs> you know like oh you can relate to it and they're like yeah I know somebody that does this and I know somebody that does that I've, I've seen someone being in that really and I'm like okay cool then maybe I am going in the right track by writing the uncomfortable because to me it might be uncomfortable, but to someone else they'd be like, I can relate to this. This is comfortable for me. I know what you're talking about, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think I think what you just said is so important, and it's something I'm discovering too as I keep going here, where it's like, it's, it's like, uh, you know, each, each page or each project, I'm pushing the, the diameter or the extent of, of my own comfortableness a little bit further each time, and it's like, it's like this little voice inside of me that's like, okay, so let's let's go a little bit further here, Joel. Let's find yeah. yeah, let's go that. Okay, test that out. Test that out. And for the most part, in fact, I'd say 100%. Like, um, I've gotten a positive reaction for that. I there's still this little devil or angel. I'm not sure what it is in the back of my mind. It's like, you know, one of these days you're gonna cross. You know, you're gonna cross the threshold here, and you're gonna offend a bunch of people, or you know, you're gonna you know, reveal yourself in a way that's really uncomfortable and it's not gonna be good. So there's always that little strand that's still, you know, holding me back. But I suspect as I go down this road, I've got a lot more learning and developing to do around getting comfortable, as you say, with the uncomfortable. And there's probably a lot more room there to breathe because it does feel like that's the stuff that people really relate to and that's how you connect with audiences in, in a different way. Exactly, and I totally agree. Um, sometimes, I don't get me wrong, I do have that little whatever it is behind my head, like saying, uh, hello, like what are you doing? But at the same time, I'm like, okay, so all my life, you know, people never agree to what I do or someone has something to say about what you do or, or why you do it, so why not put it in a book and they can do the same thing, either they're going to like it or they're not. I mean, we have heard so many no's, like, no, 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 you know, but when we finally write something that we think that is uncomfortable and we hear the, all the yeses, we're like, oh, wow, this is different from us, you know what I'm saying? So um, I feel like you should just take a step and, and do what you feel and, you know, either they're going to buy the book or they're not going to buy the book. Even though you do the things that's comfortable, that they can still not buy the book, you know. So regardless of the fact of what you do, people will always have something to say, and that's what it is. So I felt like, hey, I'm going to start writing whatever I feel, and if they like it, they like it. And if they don't, then they won't buy my book. I won't make as much as I want it to, but 
it's just what it is. I'm just writing because I love to write, you know, and I'm and I'm accomplishing something that I love to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you, I couldn't say it any better than you just have. You know, so we just got to go for it as writers. You know, it's just like you're writing something like, for example, you say you was writing like when you was a journalist, you was writing things with gas and stuff like that. And people thought, it, maybe some people thought it was boring. They didn't want to read it. And some people were like, I love this because they love what you're writing. It's the same thing as writing your own, you know, the book that you wrote. Like you have to go, you have to do what is going to make you happy, period. Because at the end of the day, it's about you and it's about what you feel and it's about what you put on that paper and, you know, people can like it and, like I say, they can like it or not. So, I mean, you're, yeah. you're pleasing yourself. You're making yourself happy, and that's all that matters to me, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that, right? Like, there's this interesting balance in sort of the world today where it's like, hey, you know, on one side of this, you know, you got to be a decent person. you got to get along with people. you got to get a job. you got to make enough to keep a roof over your head. But beyond those things, you know, if you're artistically or creatively inclined, uh, then what a time to be alive to really express yourself in a way that is free and find audience in a way that you never have before. And I think that, you know, if you're, if you are willing to, you know, um, push the dial in your creative work, but be a decent person right. in your normal life, that people will see it for what it is, that, you know, you're not you're not pushing the dial and saying mean things and you're also an asshole and that makes you just generally a, a not a good person and nobody likes you. If they can say, look, this guy's pushing the dial or, or she's pushing the dial or they're pushing the dial uh, in a way that resonates with me or doesn't resonate with me, whatever it is. But actually, you know what? They're a pretty cool person. They're a decent person. And I think you'll get, you'll get the benefit of the doubt and I think that's kind of a cool place to try and find yourself as a, as a creative person as you try and build out that and that, and that's true too. You know, people look at for who you are and how your character, or who you are, and what you present yourself to be. You know, um, you can, like you said, you can be that mean person. And everybody like, I'm not buying her book or his book because he's mean, angry all the time. You know, always grumpy. No, I'm not buying that book. Or you can have that that character, or you know in that creativity of being that nice person and want to help everybody and everybody knows who you are and every time they speak to you, you're the sweetest person or, you know, you're very kind and they're like, yeah, I mean, even though that he might push a little bit of buttons um, or the book is like, you know, what I wouldn't read, but I would read it because it's that person. And every time that person, every time I see that person, He's always kind to me or always giving me or always being polite or or have great manners or, you know, respectful, trustworthy, loyalty or whatever. You know, it's your character or how you carry yourself, how people are going to look at you. Yeah, yeah, 100%, right? You I mean, know? It's so funny in life, no matter what we're doing, like everything, you know, there's all these there's all these structures, whether they're real or they're perceived, different relationships, barriers between one another, pathways that we have to follow, you know, all, everything is always presented in life as if it's, you know, codified and structured, and there's a certain way to go 
do things. And, you know, like, I, I appreciate those things because it creates, well, the idea there is it's supposed to create some fairness and some equity for people in, in society. But the reality of it is that all planet Earth is is 7 billion people uh, alive at the same time. And you know what? If you want to do okay in life, then probably the number one thing you need to do is find a way to get along with people and be a decent human being, right? And whether or not you layer on top of that whatever you're going to spend your time doing as, you know, working working at a mall or being an engineer or a lawyer or hosting a podcast or writing or painting or making music, but, you know, you'll find your way. If you, if you get along with people, you know, this has always been sort of the, the lesson I've drawn from things. If you get along with people and you help people out, then doors will open for you. And I think that kind of partially explains you know, my career path. I mean, here I am, you know, 25 years after I started writing. The goal was to write fiction. I didn't get to it really for, you know, 23, 24 of those those years. Um, but the other things that I did do were meaningful. They were a good way to spend that time. I met a lot of people. I enjoyed that work. And it's, and it's created a pathway now for me to, you know, start exploring and getting back into that art, artistic side of things. It's, all along the way, and I'm not innocent. Everybody makes mistakes, and I'm sure I piss people off. That's just kind of how life is. Uh, but I've done my best to try and get along with people, right, and be a decent human being and help people out whenever I thought that I could. And uh, that's created this kind of crazy-ass uh, sort of career path uh, that's led me into things I never thought I was going to be doing and eventually has kind of um, given me the space to come right back to the one thing that I've always wanted to do. And, and here, now it's finally, you know, swinging at the ball. And hopefully I'll, you know, be able to hit it, you know, if not out of the field, uh, at least get a, a run or two uh, along the way. And, that, and that's true. And I'm going to go back to what you said. You said that, you know, your career path, you know, everybody has a, a destiny and everybody has a purpose. And that purpose might not be the what they think it should be. It might be another way. Um, it might not be the same role that you want to take. It might be a different role, but it's your journey and it's your purpose of whatever you had going on. Um, you know, you had a purpose of doing what you did. And now your other purpose is to show the world that you are, you could be, you know, creative and be different, you know? So that's what I truly believe. And I always believe that like my purpose on, on this earth is not only for me, it's for someone else to just see my creativity or see what type of person I am, you know? And, and if they like me, they like me. And, and maybe I might be too nice to people or maybe some people say I talk too much. You know, but at the, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, you know, I try to be who I am. And as long as you're real with yourself and love yourself and do what you have to do for yourself, a lot of doors will open because they see the sincerity of you and what type of person that you are. So, yes, a lot of doors are going to open. Sometimes when doors open, it's not always not for the good either. But you just have to yeah. keep your eyes open wide to know what's good for you and what's bad for you, you know? Yeah, you know, that's a really good point, right? Like, you still 
still through all of this, you know, it doesn't matter where you, whether you get where you get it from, you know, whether it's faith, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's your own belief system, you've got to have some kind of a moral compass to get that, you know, guide you along the way, because there are going to be doors that are going to open, that are going to lead you into places that aren't good. There's going to be doors that are going to be that lead you into places that are good. And knowing the difference between the two of them uh, is an important thing. And there's, there's really no way to arrive at knowing the difference between the two of them without some kind of a moral code to use as a, as a baseline along the way. And, you know, there's billions of people around the world who define that in, in different ways, and that's not for me to speak to. I'm no expert in it. But it does strike me that, you know, like you just said, you do kind of have to make judgment calls as you go along and decide what you're going to expose yourself to, what you're not going to expose yourself to. And you're going to make those decisions based on how you see the world and how you see the world is going to be based on a value system, whether it is articulated consciously or subconsciously. And I think it's worth it always to, you know, have that double check, uh, have that gut check. Am I doing, you know, is, is what I'm doing aligned with my value system? And, you know, that becomes particularly important um, when you have to make a hard decision that impacts other people. And that's something that I've learned in, in leadership role uh, is that you're going to make decisions sometimes that are the right thing to do, but they're not easy. They're not the easy thing to do. Um, and that value code is exactly what you need in that, in that moment to get through it. And in fact, I found in my life typically – the right answer to any dilemma I've run into professionally or personally is to is the thing that's harder. If you go the easy road, um, I found that that tends to blow up in my face um, more often than not. And if I go the hard road, not trying to make things hard for yourself, but the thing that's like, ah, yeah, that's harder to do, um, it ends up paying off. It becomes a more meaningful sort of experience and you get where you want to go. But man, it's tough sometimes when you end up at that crossroads to make that decision. Right, and that's true. And I'd rather have the hard road than the easy road because everything that's easy is not always good, right? So I'd rather yeah. just push myself and, and be like, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to make it. But at the end of the day, once you make it, you be like, oh, my God, I did it. I'm at the end. I, <laughs> I finally did it. But what I want to tell you, Joel, it's been a pleasure talking to you. you like one great guy. Like I am so, like, it's, I was excited to talk to you. We had a great conversation. And so I would love to let people know where they can find you, um, how can they follow you, do you have a website so they can, you know, read more about you? Yeah, well, first of all, just take care of all of them. Absolutely, it was awesome chatting with you. Thank you so much for the space just to, to chat and shoot ideas back and forth. It's a, a nice way for me to end uh, the day here. It's 5 o'clock where I am. Um, where can you find me? Uh, Twitter, uh, at Joel C. Mackay. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me on LinkedIn, Joel Mackay. You can find my books on Amazon, author slash Joel Mackay. Uh, those are kind of the places to go, um, and uh, hopefully I'm not too hard uh, to hunt down, even though I am stuck way up here uh, happily, uh, but uh, way up here in northern Canada. Oh, God. So you don't have the Instagram, right, Joel? No, not currently. I'm toying with it, but it's like, hi, <laughs> you Awesome, awesome. When you do, please add me. And again, thank you and for taking time out to be um, up here with me. And I want to say God bless you, and I wish you the best.
Yeah, you as well. Have an awesome night and an awesome week. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye.